Welcome to The Peacebuilding Practitioner, a resource page and podcast for people working on conflict, on peacebuilding and on social justice issues. My name is Bjorn Eser and I'm the founder of and shaker and maker behind The Peacebuilding Practitioner. And today you're listening to the second episode of Season 2 of The Peacebuilding Practitioner's podcast. In Season 2, Antonia introduces us to the field of conflict-sensitive journalism. Drawing on her vast experiences in journalism as well as in conflict transformation and peacebuilding work, Antonia now starts to translate theory into practice. Episode 2 looks at key aspects that set conflict-sensitive journalism apart from other forms of reporting. So, lean back and be ready for yet another exciting show. Antonia, time to get started! Hello fellow journalists, teachers and trainers, peacebuilders, students and passionate people dedicated to making the world a bit nicer to live in. I am Antonia Koop, former war journalist, technology innovator, serial entrepreneur and international coordinator of PicoJohn, the Peace and Conflict Journalism Network, and you are listening to our podcast on conflict-sensitive journalism. Glad you're here and join me again for another episode. In the first episode of this podcast series on conflict-sensitive journalism, I explored the origins of the concept and how it relates to other approaches to reporting on conflict crisis and war. In the second episode, I will begin looking at conflict-sensitive journalism in more practical terms. What is it that reporters and editors do differently when they choose to report in a conflict-sensitive way? And what is the impact of this shift in perspective on the conflict situation and its stakeholders. When we decided to put this podcast together, the original plan was to give you a quick overview and introduction into conflict-sensitive journalism. However, I recently had the opportunity to discuss the state of available educational materials on CSJ with media educators, development organizations and journalists, and it became apparent that more useful training and teaching material is needed. Therefore, we will expand from the original plan and use this series to explain the CSJ toolbox in more detail. We will keep the following episodes a bit shorter and I focus on one tool or principle per episode from the conflict-sensitive journalism toolbox. I hope this keeps the podcast interesting as an introduction but also offers a useful structure for its use in teaching and training. Okay, let's look at conflict-sensitive journalism in practice. To look at the practical side of conflict-sensitive journalism, we have to go back to a very basic question. What do journalists actually do? Sure, there are a lot of possible answers to this question, from writing articles and interviewing people to sticking their noses into where they don't belong. All true. But let's stick to the practical. Regardless whether a journalist is a writer radio or broadcast reporter, or the major outlet or the campus press, journalism requires reporters and editors to make decisions on what to report and how to report it. At first glance, these questions seem simple. Just report facts is what young journalists often hear from the teachers and seniors. 
However, in reality, it is rarely this straightforward. Facts aren't independent from our perception of them, and therefore, unavoidably, a journalist's reporting is shaped by the journalist's own perspective, as well as external pressures and expectations. These can be editorial demands, location and target group of the media outlet, house styles, assumptions of what sells and what doesn't, and countless other roles and habits which have evolved and are seldom questioned in daily practice. Journalists are too often guided by editorial prerogatives gone rogue. What bleeds that leads is a cynical but persistent mantra in newsrooms. So is the illusion of objectivity. The result of such newsroom mantras is a news selection that gives priority not to the most relevant and meaningful, but to the story with the highest body count, a royal baby or the shape of the booty of a celebrity. To find true meaningful guidance, journalists need to take a skeptical, thorough look at what we see as news values, and we need to go back to the roots of our profession. What and how we report ultimately depends on how we as reporters and editors perceive the task and role of journalism in society. How we look at our readers and audiences and how we as media practitioners relate our stories to current affairs and conditions in society. Conflict-sensitive journalism requires us to discuss common habits in media practice that erode the quality of reporting and have led to a reporting style that too often adds fuel to the fire in an already tense situation. Let's be clear about something, though. These habits aren't caused by journalists being bad. They're rooted in the history of journalism and have evolved in response to increasing competition among reporters and media outlets, to market pressure and a growing business orientation of media companies around the world. And too often, journalists aren't as well-trained and educated as we would like them to be, or they fall victim to political manipulation or threats. Of course, all professions have some bad apples in their midst, individuals and organizations who consciously choose to abuse their power and influence. But in my career as a journalist and throughout the many years I have worked with journalists as international coordinator of PicoJohn, I've come across very few of these personalities. Most journalists I know are passionate, dedicated to their profession, and many are willing to take great risks in the hope that their work contributes to positive change in the world. Nobody needs an ethical and moral finger waved in front of them when they're about to walk into the fire line with nothing but a camera and some chocolate bars in your pocket to make it through the night. That's why we have developed the concepts of conflict-sensitive journalism into an essential toolbox for journalists that helps reporters and editors to achieve high-quality reporting of conflict, crisis and war. Key Concepts of Conflict-Sensitive Journalism As mentioned in our last episode, the concepts of conflict-sensitive journalism are based on a deeper understanding of the dynamics of conflict. They lean on the instruments of conflict analysis, but are rooted in a solid foundation of journalism values and principles. And they present a reporting that as such can support de-escalation without forcing journalists into advocacy. In our work with journalists around the globe and drawing on the foundations of research conducted by Johann Galtung, Jake Lynch, Ross Howard, Nadine Bielke and many other researchers and practitioners, 
we have identified 18 significant principles, shifts in thinking and focus in media reporting that enable us to achieve high-quality reporting on conflict. These concepts provide guidance for practicing journalists and have been developed as strategies to overcome the negative habits of the media. They are based on widely agreed journalistic values such as truth-seeking, accuracy and balance, impartiality and relevance, and the need for independent relevant reporting. Let's take a look at the first of these principles. Principle 1. Discourse of journalism and the role of journalists in society. In our last episode, we've already discussed this to some degree. For me, understanding truly and fully what role journalism plays in society is always the first principle, because it drives all the others. This is the place of origin, where we return to when we encounter dilemma and questions in our profession that we struggle to answer. Why are we here? and what are we really supposed to achieve. Many journalists and media practitioners have a rather cynical perception of their profession. They feel that their media outlets have lost their purpose as a democratic institution, a watchdog that keeps those in power accountable. Instead, media has just become another business. The philosopher Noam Chomsky captured this perception in his propaganda model, where he describes the media as a business that produces readers for its advertisers. Conflict-sensitive journalism rejects this gloomy perspective. It embraces a different journalistic ideal, wherein journalism is not just a business, but also not only a watchdog. It is a channel for communication in a society too large to allow its members to communicate directly with each other. This concept has been framed by Carsten Broska under the term the discursive journalism model. The discursive journalism model. The model represents a slight but significant change in our understanding of the role of journalism. As a communication channel, the media provides more than pre-selected facts. It offers members of society orientation on the ongoing discourse and enables active participation. Imagine a small village. All inhabitants communicate quite freely with each other. Gossip makes the round, but since everyone is at arm's length from each other, the villagers usually know what's going on. Whenever something happens that affects the entire village, information travels by word of mouth. Equipped with the necessary information, the villagers can choose to engage or contribute their ideas and opinions also by word of mouth, or by yelling on the marketplace if needed. This means the discourse within the village flows freely amongst all inhabitants. Yes, I know, this is an ideal model of a village. In a real village, there might be gender issues and women are cut out of the conversation. Older people might be left out of the discourse or the LGBTQ community doesn't get a say. We'll come to that. But in theory, a village has working communication channels and these channels work due to physical proximity. Now imagine a goat falls down the well of our ideal little village. The villagers will know about it. They will know not to drink the water until the well is cleared again. The inhabitants will gather with ropes. They send a fit kid down the well to tie the rope around the goat and together they will pull the poor creature out, saving the villagers' water supply. They will probably have a party afterwards to celebrate their success. 
We live in a globalized world, in a world we often call a global village. Like in a goat story, we are villagers connected by mutual dependency. Gone are the times when things could happen elsewhere that had no relevance for our lives here. Let me give you some examples. When a United States elect a president, global stock markets go up or down. Conflicts in the Middle East and Africa cause refugees to seek safe haven in Europe. From a wet food market in Wuhan, a new virus attacks people and health systems of nations around the world. And where corporations and countries conspire in their failure to protect the rainforest, we all run out of air eventually. We have a lot of goats in a lot of wells. What we don't have is the proximity required for word-of-mouth communication. In our globalized world, we need a communication channel, one that is clean and impartial so it doesn't pollute the information it channels. To address the burning issues of our times, we need a communication channel, one that is accessible and available for all to engage in discourse with the rest of society. This is the role of journalists today. The journalist as communication channel is much more than a watchdog that barks up the tree of misconduct. He or she is a conduit for social discourse. Most business-oriented media has given up much of its relevance as democratic function in society in exchange for influence, cost efficiency and a quick and easy financial gains companies can make by selling entertainment. Depriving the people of access to independent, reliable information weakens democracy and weakens communication and participation. It excludes minorities from social discourse and gives voice not to the most relevant but the loudest or those with influence and money to buy publicity. This has a devastating effect on our capability to address problems in our society. It undermines our capacity to deal with conflicts non-violently and constructively. Discursive journalism asks journalists to open a communication channel between conflict parties and create a room for exchange and conversation that is not limited by the ability of parties to meet or even their willingness to communicate with each other. Such journalism can create communication beyond hard frontiers, a process critical to overcoming violence and engaging in more constructive dialogue and ultimately collaboration. Okay, let's wrap this up. The first principle of conflict-sensitive journalism is that we journalists need to reclaim our role in society based on the idea of discursive journalism. Journalists need to make choices about what to report and how to report it based on the role we play in making society work. And this role is to be a communication channel that enables members of the community to communicate, that provides access to factual and relevant information and provides a channel for all members of society to participate in social discourse, to make their voices heard and their needs recognized. This, of course, includes minorities because they are part of society. Giving a voice to the voiceless has always been part of the mission of journalists, which I think makes it clear that conflict-sensitive journalism isn't something alien. It is reviving and strengthening good journalism practice and high-quality reporting. So I think this is a lot of food for thought, and it is where we have reached the end of our second episode. In the next episode, I will look at the geometry of conflict, and how a mental construct of conflict affects how we as journalists frame our reporting. 
Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Keep the great work up and stay safe and sane. So much for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you hit the subscribe button so you won't miss out on any of the future episodes. And I would really appreciate if you leave me a rating on iTunes, on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you want to learn more about the Peacebuilding Practitioner, head over to my webpage that's www.thepeacebuildingpractitioner.org where you find plenty of articles from practitioners for practitioners. And if you want to dive even deeper into this field of work, join us for one of our online courses. If you want to learn more about that, just get in contact with me. You'll find the contact details in the show notes or on my webpage.